0: Hey there, I'm Deidre Blomquist. I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and I want to help you understand how your body works so that you can navigate complex health conditions and take back your health. I'm passionate about serving women, no matter what stage of life you're in, so that you can take your health into your own hands, understand and address root causes for dysfunction, and holistically support every facet of your life. Women are the gatekeepers to the health of the family, and I And want to help you understand health deeply to make the best decisions not only for yourself but for your family i'm a lifelong learner and i hope you'll join me in this journey to be always learning and always growing let's dive in if you're struggling with hormonal imbalances and fertility concerns but you haven't considered how gut health is connected to this then this podcast is for you this connection is so understated and unfortunately many hormone experts miss this crucial connection for women who are struggling in these areas and are led to believe that they cannot achieve balanced hormones. They just have to live with it and will never be able to conceive naturally. I can tell you firsthand that we see women do just that every single day by focusing on their gut health, and I want to wanna help you understand why this connection is so crucial. A couple of key concepts that are important to understand here, first and foremost, though. Digestion is foundational to our health, and impaired digestion puts stress on the body. Our cycles are impacted by stress. So why don't we consider other factors of internal stress and how this might impact ovulation, our periods, and ultimately fertility to be able to carry to full term? We're very keen to understand the external stressors on the body, but we don't take into account those internal stressors as being equally as important, if not more influential, on our hormones. The second concept you need to understand is that hormones do not function in a bubble. So when we're talking about hormones, we're not only talking about your sex hormones, but your adrenal hormones, your thyroid, insulin for blood sugar management, and all of these hormones play a role together. So rather than thinking about just your sex hormones as going up or down, we need to think about this more like a teeter totter, where if something goes down, another thing goes up, and vice versa. It's not a perfect one to one on how these things interact, but if one set of hormones in the body is impacted, you will see impacts to other endocrine glands and organs and the way that they are able to produce those hormones. So, to begin let- with, let's walk through the way that poor digestive health can impact hormonal health and therefore fertility. Now I want you to think of this like a tiered system because when there are issues with gut health, there tend to be low-lying imbalances. And as things progress, they build over time. So for instance, if you have a pathogen, you also likely have digestive dysbiosis and you likely also have a beneficial bacterial insufficiency. And it starts as that insufficiency builds to a digestive dysbiosis and then builds to an inflammatory dysbiosis where you have a pathogen or gut infection that requires eradication to rebalance the gut. This doesn't happen overnight. So these things tend to build over time. People get more and more symptoms or more and more issues um, as things progress. So tier one, beneficial bacteria insufficiency. Bacteria are very important for our microbiome. There are more bacterial cells and organisms that live inside of our gut than there are cells inside of our entire body. We are more bacteria than we are man. And these beneficial bacteria in particular are really important for the production of enzymes, neurotransmitters. They regulate our immune system. They do so many different things in addition to crowd out any other pathogens in the gut. We all have some level of yeast and parasites that reside in our GI tract, but these beneficial bacteria help balance that out when they are at adequate levels. Now, when we're not feeding our beneficial bacteria, or we have something like, let's say an antibiotic or some type of antimicrobial that comes in and damages those beneficial bacteria, then we can see impacts to these systems. And we can start to see those other types of pathogens overgrow. Tier two is poor chemical digestion. So You are not what you eat. You are what you absorb. And if you are struggling to chemically digest and break down your food, you are not getting all of the nutrients that you could be, even if you have a picture perfect diet. So this is really important to understand from a three-prong approach. The first thing is HCL. HCL stands for hydrochloric acid. This is stomach acid. Stomach acid is incredibly important for the chemical digestion of all macronutrients, but especially for protein. It is very challenging to digest protein without adequate stomach acid. And most people do not have adequate stomach acid production in the stomach. So just as a little bit of insight, if you are somebody who has acid reflux or heartburn and you feel like I have too much, it's typically that you don't actually have enough stomach acid being produced. When you don't have enough stomach acid, the stomach continues to mechanically churn over and over the food in order to reach the correct acidity. It has to be the correct acidity before it can move into the next stage of the intestinal tract, which is the duodenum of the small intestine. Now, if it doesn't reach that acidity, that door essentially doesn't open. So the stomach continues to produce stomach acid and churn that. And as a result, sometimes what can happen is the sphincter at the top of the stomach called the lower esophageal sphincter opens because the food in the stomach begins to ferment, produce gases, causes burping, and can open that sphincter, which means that that stomach acid can then re-enter the esophagus, causing that burning, heartburn, even reflux all the way to the mouth. So. If you don't have enough stomach acid, you're not chemically digesting your protein, which means you're not getting things like iron and B vitamins and zinc and all of the things animal proteins contain that are so crucial for our health. The next side of this is thinking about pancreatic enzymes, especially as it relates to carb digestion. So when we are thinking about pancreatic enzyme function, this is really what we need in order to chemically digest carbohydrates to break it down into glucose for cells. It's not uncommon to see pancreatic enzyme function low, especially alongside low hydrochloric acid. These two really do go hand in hand. And the third piece of this is the production of bile. Bile is produced in the liver and it's very important for the chemical digestion of fatty acids. So if you are consuming fatty acids then you should be producing adequate bile to chemically break it down for absorption. And when this doesn't happen, you can have things like constipation result. You might notice fatty acids or like greasy stools, or you just might notice that you don't tolerate fatty foods very well. Now the liver and the gallbladder go hand in hand as part of the biliary tree. So the liver produces the bile, the gallbladder releases it when fat is present in the diet. It only releases that bile when fat is present in the diet, which means that it's very important to have a steady flow of fat at meals to stimulate the contraction of that gallbladder to release the bile. When this isn't happening, such as cases of a low fat diet, or you're completely missing fats, The gallbladder can become stagnant. The bile that is present in the gallbladder can become very viscous and difficult to move, which means that when you do then have fat in the diet and it attempts to contract, it's unable to do so effectively. The other thing that really can contribute to poor gallbladder function as a whole is eating toxic fats, things like your vegetable, canola oil, seed oils. Those really do slow down and make it very viscous for that bile to be able to move through the gallbladder and the health of the gallbladder ultimately deteriorates. We need to make sure that all three of these digestive components are in place and working effectively in order to support chemical digestion because all three types of macronutrients are important for us. We need each tier of that three branches in order to get what we need from our food. And when we are not chemically breaking down food, what can happen is ultimately that food does eventually travel into the intestinal tract and it can start to feed organisms that we don't want to be feeding, which brings us to tier three, which is gut pathogens or infections. These type of infections, as I mentioned, can be bacterial fungal or parasitic and they can create immune dysfunction in the body as your immune system attempts to fight back um, against these pathogens. They can also be depleting you of a lot of different nutrients. These pathogens can create an inflammatory response in the GI tract that then creates permeability in the gut. So a lot of people think that food sensitivities are a food issue. Yes, they are. And removing those things can be very effective, but it's more of a terrain issue. What is causing inflammation in the GI tract in the first place that is making that permeability happen and allowing for the immune system to have an upregulated response to food in particular. Sometimes this is happening because food isn't being chemically digested as well. So it's important to explore all avenues and make sure that you have a very clear understanding of what is contributing to those things. There can also be a dysregulation of the immune system in terms of having an upregulated response. If the immune system is working hard to fight something off, it means that it is on high alert. So think of this like having a cut on your hand. Your hand can normally run across things, no issue, no pain, but when there's a cut there, the response is upregulated, you're a little bit more sensitive, and therefore every surface that you touch will create pain where it might not before. Another way that this can be Uh, negative for your body is that elevated levels of bacteria in particular can contribute to elevations in uh, an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. Beta-glucuronidase is a liver enzyme that's involved in the most important phase two conjugation liver pathways for the excretion of things like carcinogens, lipid-soluble hormones, and steroid hormones. That includes the hormones that you are producing internally. So the purpose of this enzyme is to create a bond between the toxin or the hormone and conjugate it for excretion, which means that it's binding to it to be carried out of the body. Now, when beta glucuronidase is elevated, these bonds become broken and these toxins, both exogenous coming from outside the body, as well as endogenous inside the body can be recirculated, creating more toxicity in the body as a whole. The last way that these gut pathogens can be a little sneaky and cause more issues for us is through that leaky gut and that intestinal permeability. So keep in mind that under normal circumstances in the small intestine, where we absorb the majority of our food, there is selective permeability that happens in the mucosal terrain, which means that the mucosa gets to decide what enters directly into the bloodstream. Now, ideally this is food chemical, food particles that have been chemically digested properly, and then prevents the acceptance of pathogens and toxins into the bloodstream. But when there is leaky gut, these permeable membranes start to open up and become more like highways, which means that undigested food particles, pathogens, and toxins get to enter the bloodstream unfiltered which means that we have very little control over what then enters our internal terrain and is then having an immune response too. So this is where you might notice more food sensitivities. You're getting sick more often. Every little thing that you come in contact with seems to impact your health. Now, all of this puts stress on the body, which can impact two main systems. The biggest one being the adrenals, but the other one being your blood sugar management system. And these two systems go hand in hand. One does not always come before the other in that blood sugar can impact adrenal response, but adrenal response can also impact blood sugar, which is known as a cortisol induced blood sugar dysregulation. When there is dysbiosis in the gut in particular, though, you'll struggle to manage blood sugar effectively. Research shows that the gut microbiome plays a significant role in blood glucose management. Specifically, butyrate-producing bacteria play an essential role in insulin homeostasis. It's important to understand that changes in the gut microbiome are associated with metabolic disorders such as obesity, insulin resistance, and diabetes, conditions that ultimately involve an impaired ability to maintain proper blood glucose levels. Those butyrate-producing bacteria are some of the beneficial bacteria that we want to be present in the microbiome. And when they are not being fed, they are not at adequate levels. This means that your blood sugar can be impacted. When your blood sugar is impacted, it can look a bit like a roller coaster happening throughout the day. Blood glucose goes up in response to a meal and insulin is called upon to shuttle glucose to cells. But if blood glucose is too high, we can over-release insulin, causing glucose levels to end up crashing below normal range. Now, our body wants to remain between this very fine line of blood glucose, which is known as homeostasis. And when we fall outside of that, we have to call on different endocrine organs to help us. So when the blood sugar crashes below normal levels, the body has a safety mechanism to ensure that we have adequate glucose available for cells. Our brain, when this happens, essentially thinks that we're dying. Even if we are not, this is just to keep us safe. All of the things that the body does is to keep us safe. And it will call upon the adrenal glands to release cortisol during the day to bring glucose back up into a range. Now imagine this process happening every time you eat a meal, it happens at breakfast, you spike up, crash down. So your body releases insulin, then it releases cortisol. Then this happens again at lunch and dinner, and we're riding the roller coaster up and down, up and down. When your body's releasing cortisol in response to this, it can impact normal circadian rhythm needs, your ability to manage stress, and the adrenal glands can become overburdened. In time, this can negatively impact other endocrine glands, such as your thyroid and your sex hormones. Now, I do also just want to note here that if this blood sugar crash is happening at night, The adrenal glands aren't releasing cortisol at night. Instead, they release adrenaline to wake you up. So if you are somebody who wakes up in the middle of the night and you feel like you might be waking up to go to the bathroom, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this simply isn't true. Your body has a mechanism that turns off the system that tells your brain to wake up when your bladder is full at night. When you wake up at night, it is truly 100% due to adrenaline being released to wake you from your slumbers. So the big picture here is that we need to determine the source of stress on the body. If there's gut dysbiosis, that's a stressor. If there's blood sugar dysregulation, that's a stressor. If the thyroid is being impacted, that's a stressor. And yes, if there is emotional or mental stress, then that's a stressor. And these can all impact sex hormone function. This can ultimately result in an upregulated cortisol response, which is one of our adrenal hormones that is responsible for stress and our fight or flight response. But Over time, chronic stress on the body, regardless of being internal or external, can result in suboptimal adrenal function and therefore cortisol production. And this ultimately will impact sex hormones. So for many women, this looks like a drop in progesterone levels as ovulation is impacted. Now, I want to make sure that you understand all of the roles of progesterone to begin with, because oftentimes we think about progesterone as our big fertility hormone for becoming pregnant, but it does a lot of other things that are important to understand as well. So yes, it does prepare the uterus for implantation of a fertilized egg, but it is also really important when we think about the production of mammary glands for lactation. So this is why women who have low progesterone or maybe trouble conceiving also tend to struggle with breastfeeding. It's due to the body's inability to produce adequate progesterone to support these processes. Progesterone also balances the effects of estrogen so that we are not in an estrogen dominant state. It maintains the secretory endometrium, which essentially ripens the uterus lining for possible pregnancy. And in pregnancy, it maintains and protects the fetus. It's really needed, especially during pregnancy for brain and nervous system development For women as a whole, it stimulates new bone growth, helps calm and focus our brains. It's important for fat burning. It can help increase libido. It's a natural relaxant. It helps facilitate thyroid hormone function. So another way that hormones do not function in a bubble, we need accurate progesterone in order to support thyroid hormone function as well. It helps balance testosterone levels. It's preventative against things like estrogen-related cancers, breast, uterine cancer. It helps regulate autoimmune conditions and protect against them. So you can see that progesterone, while yes, is important for fertility, it is not a solo act. It is doing a lot of other things in the body and plays a different role in multiple other endocrine functions. Now, if you have something like progesterone deficiency, it might look like having heavy periods, a lot of bleeding, clotting, cramping, and PMS around your period. You might notice weight gain or even acne, especially if you think it's hormonal acne. You might get a lot of headaches or migraines throughout the month or experience anxiety or moodiness. You might have trouble with short-term memory loss or inability to concentrate you may also have water retention, have trouble sleeping, breast tenderness that doesn't line up with your cycle. You could even have things like hot flashes, uh, depression, as well as uh, bigger clinical implications like endometriosis and fibrates. So, by now, you might be wondering what if you don't have any digestive symptoms? Do you still have? to look at gut health as being connected to your, your sex hormones. And while many women we see do have some level of digestive symptoms that they've been dealing with for a long period of time, like constipation, diarrhea, reflux, heartburn, stinky gas, bloating. There are some women who don't have symptoms like this, but they'll still have hormonal issues or they'll find that they're still struggling to conceive. And in all honesty, you may still want to look at stool testing, even without the presence of these symptoms, because we do often see that the women who fall into this category have some of the worst gut dysbiosis patterns. In other words, they have several pathogenic overgrowth, but there's one big difference. Their body is damping down the symptoms well, while other women might not be able to damp down those symptoms. And we tend to see a pattern particularly in the personality traits of these women who don't have digestive symptoms, but do have alarming pathogenic presence in the gut, they tend to be a little type A, they're high achievers, they're very go, 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 maybe a little bit anxious, but especially when they don't feel they're being productive, they are givers. And sometimes they also have people pleasing tendencies and they will pull through anything because these are strong women. And this comes right back down to how their body deals with this inner internal dysbiosis stress. But I can tell you that these women are also also often the ones that as soon as they rest, they go on vacation or have a break from their hectic schedules, they immediately get sick or they start to have symptoms come out of the woodwork that don't typically bother them, whether that's aches and pains, headaches, immune things, gut symptoms, and it's because they live and thrive in a sympathetic state, which might be helping them get through their to-do list, but it's also shutting down the communication system from the digestive system to let them know that something is wrong. So whether you have digestive symptoms or not, looking at gut health is really crucial for rebalancing hormones and supporting fertility, bringing the body back into balance and taking every stress possible off of your body to support happy hormones and an environment that is open to conception will make all of the difference. Your body knows when the environment is safe or maybe when it's not safe for conception. And while we might feel like we are in control of conception The body has the ultimate wisdom and say for when the timing is right. Thanks for joining us today. If you're looking for help navigating digestive troubles, hormonal imbalances, reversing infertility, putting autoimmune conditions into remission, or support navigating mold toxicity, we'd love to offer you a complimentary consultation to see how our team of practitioners can help. While we offer a wide range of functional tests, we know that you and your story are way more than a set of test results, and we want to help you take back your health. You can find more information about our team, our process, pricing for our program, testimonials, and apply to work with us in the show notes. See you next time.